We're going to start a new series studying the book of Colossians. So if you grab your Bibles, and we're going to be marching through this verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, as we go through the summer. So just really encourage you, if you're not studying something in the Word right now specifically, or even add it to that, but jump into Colossians and read a few verses each day or a chapter each day, and then reread it and study it. And, you know, I, I just really felt impressed by the Lord. Study it as if you're going to teach it to somebody. Because, boy, every time I, I have to jump in and study the Word when I'm going to teach it, I learn more. So I want to encourage you. Who would you, maybe it's a spouse you can encourage or someone in your family or a a child or a friend, but, but study it this summer and study it along with the church. If you miss a message, pick it up online as if you're actually going to teach and share those truths with someone else. And your learning will go so much deeper. But we're going to jump right in. This incredible book that Paul wrote from a prison cell uh, about 40 years, 35 years after the resurrection of Christ. So this is first century church. This is like the first church and these new believers, it's really exciting. And the way he writes from his heart is so instructional for us. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So it's Paul and Timothy having been arrested because they won't worship Caesar as God, but God the Father and his son Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit as God. And so they're in a prison cell. Timothy is the son of uh, the, uh, how do I say it? Paul was his father in the faith. So he brought Timothy to faith. And now he's partnering with Timothy in the gospel. And they're in a prison cell. And I don't know if you've ever been in a prison cell. I don't know if you've ever lived in such a way where your faith has put you in a place where people get angry at you or want to hurt you in some way, but they were willing to stand for Christ and for the gospel and were in a prison cell. But even in that place of trial, and prison is not a fun place to be, right? They were concerned for others. And I thought, you know, that's a great question to ask us even at the beginning of this teaching. You know, when we experience trial and trouble or stress, any of you got any of those? You qualify for any of those? Okay. Like every day of our life, we got something that we'd say, well, that's a burden, that's a stress, I'm concerned about this or whatever. That we put our eyes on God, first of all, and then because we do that, we can actually look to the needs of other people, even before the trial gets solved or it ends. In the midst of the suffering, you know what brings part of our healing and our joy in the Lord? Is to say, and I'm not the only one. There are people in Colossae that need to be encouraged, and they're standing up for their faith. And yeah, we're in prison, but God, would you minister and encourage them? And we pray for others, and we reach out to others, even though we have things we're trusting and praying to the Lord about. I just think that's a great, it's just a great model. And so, you know, they also just said, you know, it's brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in the Lord, fellow saints in the kingdom of light. And you get this idea that it's, it's one big family that Paul and Timothy aren't lifting themselves up above everyone else and, you know, kind of like the Pharisees did, right? And placing a burden on them and having this ego as better than them, more spiritually mature, looking down on others. They actually saw themselves as servants of Christ and servants of people. So really the direct opposite. And they wanted them to know your brothers, your partners in the gospel, 
You know, we share in what Christ has done. He's our brother. We're all brothers with Christ and sisters with him together in the most incredible work that's going on on this planet, and that's the kingdom of God and what Christ is building as he changed one heart, as he changes one heart at a time. And they understood that, and so they're writing from their heart from prison to say, you know, may you be encouraged. You're with us in this and stand strong and so on. And it's a great book, and we'll dive into it. But, you know, just to know that Epaphras was, was faithful to take the gospel to this church or to this people that then a church could be planted and that Paul would actually be able to write a gathering of people that have given their life to Christ and now living for Christ and that they were so valid even before Paul met him. And he, at this point, we know he, he hadn't met him and won't. But he was writing from his heart, giving them God's word wanting them to be encouraged. And he mentions three things in particular, faith, hope, and love. And he says that's what really characterizes the Colossian church is these these new believers there. These were new believers, but they had faith in Christ. They had the hope of heaven. They had love for other people. That had started to mark them already. Again, new believers. Not people that like have memorized all of Scripture or, you know, could could pick out all the technical theological terms to describe situations and people's depravity and distance from God and all. These just new believers, but they were marked by these three great Christian principles. The three, the three really, the great graces of the Christian life. Faith, hope, and love. Faith in Christ as Savior and as Lord. You know, to have faith in Christ isn't just to say, I know God exists. It isn't even to say, I attend a church. It even to say, oh, I think the Bible's you know, got a lot of good things to share. It's to say, I specifically know God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Because of what He did on the cross, I have a relationship with the Father, and the Holy Spirit lives in me. That you know Him personally, and they knew Him personally. They had faith specifically in Jesus Christ and what He came to do for them. Not just in God, not just being spiritual. So a lot of people want to talk about God. They want to talk about spiritual. Have you run into them? And they want to claim there are many trees out there. You just pick the one that works for you. It's way, well, I'm glad it works for you. This is my version. And it's not the same God because it's not the God of the Bible. And it's not his son, Jesus Christ, that, that saves. It's Christ and Christ alone and Christ only. And their hope was set in heaven. They were not earthbound. They had eternal perspective. They knew they weren't home yet. They were understanding that they were pilgrims. They were on their way through. They weren't trying to make their home here and all comfortable and all perfect for themselves. They realized that's not the point. The point is to live for God and his glory. And it gets uncomfortable. And sometimes you're in a prison. And sometimes you're getting ridiculed. And sometimes people don't like you. Or sometimes people don't want you around because you're a believer. And they think you're going to spoil their fun. Well, having faith in Christ and the hope of heaven sets our sights on something far more important. And they had love for each other. They had sacrificial love like they saw in Christ's life and in his death and in his resurrection. They poured out that love that they received. And that marks Christians, doesn't it? Because we know in 1 Corinthians 13, in that letter, when Paul was writing to the Corinthian believers there, he said, faith, love, and hope, but the greatest of these is love. So what should mark us? What's the most obvious thing to be able to see in a person is if they're selfish or loving. It's actually the most obvious thing before you declare the gospel, before you can even spell out things about God or what you know or what you may not know yet or life and how it works or wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God, the most obvious thing for someone to see and know about you is if you're loving or you're selfish. The most obvious. It shows up all over the place. 
You either will get up and help serve or you kind of sit back and hope someone else will jump up. Oh, cool, I can just chill out. But when you're the one that keeps jumping up, when you're the one who initiates, when you give love and forgiveness, when you're patient, when you're letting the character of Christ through the Spirit that lives in you come out, it's the most obvious character of anyone or anything in this world. The character of Christ is that powerful. It's that bright. It shines and shows up that strongly. Is this a description of you? Your faith in Christ, your hope that is set in heaven, and your love for others? Is your behavior marked by selflessly, sacrificially loving others and telling them about this faith that has changed you, that you have in Christ, this hope that gives you so much hope and peace beyond the circumstances of the day, beyond the circumstances of our country, beyond the, you know, whatever's going on politically. You have a greater hope. You have a greater purpose. You have a greater perspective. Not that you're better. In fact, because of all those things that are so great, you can actually be a servant and love sacrificially and lift people up. That marks us as believers. That was marking them. And I think it's great that Paul says, man, I've been hearing this about you from Epaphras and Epaphroditus. The report about you, is, is, it's outstanding because you're living out what Christ would want you to in honor of him. Pretty awesome. He goes on, verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. A beloved fellow servant, a faithful minister. That should also describe us, that we know we're loved, that we're so comfortable serving other people because Christ is so wonderfully, constantly and steadfastly loved and served us, and we know it. His grace is so at work in our life and in our heart because we know he forgives us when we stumble into sin. He knows when we doubt, he's we know when, when we doubt, you know, that God still loves us. We know our future is set in heaven. We know we're in his family. That's so transformed us, right? It's so changed us. It's so moved us from being a person who's lived in the dark away from God, close to God. His gospel. Epaphras shared it just faithfully. He shared it as a servant. And we're called to come alongside one another and do the same. But what is the gospel? You know, a lot of people throw that term around, or you may have heard it. You may be newer to the church. You want, well, what's the gospel? I mean, I heard that word. Well, it means good news. Well, what's the good news? What's the central message of the Bible? The central message of the Bible is about the person of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, he was talked about. He was prophesied that he would come and be the Messiah, the one that would forgive men of their sin and bring them back into relationship with God. They're the wandering sheep back into the fold of God through Christ to the Father. The gospel is very, very simple. We complicate it. Paul says, do not add anything and do not delete anything from the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is about Christ coming to display the sacrificial love of God, that all men that would place their faith in him would be saved and that they could walk now with great hope and great power and the great presence of God in their life for all of eternity. And one day, Christ would return for them. That's the gospel. 
So when you have opportunity to share just what I shared or parts of that with someone, let them know that that's the core message of the Bible and it's centered around a person, Jesus Christ. And that brings you all the hope and all the love and all the forgiveness and all the grace you need for anything you will ever face now and for the rest of your life. And then we get eternity with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Be able to share that. You know, they shared this with people in this city, in this Roman city, and people were coming to Christ. And they had challenges. They have Jews, the Jews, the zealots were trying to bring them back into Judaism to follow the law again. And Jesus said, no, I came to fulfill the law to bring them back into the ceremonial law and the sacrifices. And Jesus said, no, I am the ultimate sacrifice. You don't need to do that anymore. You just need to love me and follow me and walk with me and like me. That's the gospel. That's what changed the city. That's what he's writing to these dear believers in Colossae. And he said in Colossians 1.8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul was so strong you know, he just didn't want what we call, you know, telephone game. You know, when you have a message and you're supposed to tell one person the message, then they're supposed to repeat it and tell the next person the message. And they tell the fourth person, the fifth person, the sixth person. By the time it gets back to the last person in line and they declare what the message is, it's not even close. It's like laughable how different it is from the message the first person told. Paul didn't want that to happen with the truth, with the gospel of Christ. So he's telling them, this is the gospel. It's the simple truth of who Christ is and why he came. He didn't want it to get added to, twisted, deleted from. If anyone would do that, even someone says, oh, an angel of heaven came and told me this, let them be accursed. He was very strong. And he wants to protect these Colossians from being duped by any false gospel. All they needed to do is to continue to stay in an abiding relationship with Christ. And he goes on in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In the light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What a prayer! Did you even realize that was a prayer? So, Paul is saying, You know, I've heard all this, these great things about you, but wow, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray what? And then he, he lists those many different aspects of growth in Christ and what he's wanting them to become in Christ. What a great prayer to pray for one another. We pray so often for comfort and, well, that person needs this and that. So, Lord, pray, just give them this, just give them this, give them this. So much of it is like material stuff. And it's just, oh, I'm feeling a little sick because I want to be healthy all the time, like all the time. Like, like I, 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 most of my prayers are material things and just my health. And it's, it's all about who? It's all about me. He's praying that they understand the will of God, that they grow in knowledge of this great God, that they have this relationship that can rescue people, that they would give thanks and so on. I mean, it's about where they're headed in Christ. Wow, we should be praying this for ourselves. And we should be praying this for others that we know in this church. That is God's goal for us. That's the direction he's taking us. So if I had to boil it down to a couple 
statements I think that we can walk with is this. Is the first is to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This means you and I have to be students of God's word. We have to know his will. I'm convinced a lot of people do not want to know God's will, even Christians. They just really don't. Why do you think that is? If you actually know God's will in a specific area of your life, now you're, what's the word? Accountable. Do you want to know? My, my opinion is I, I think, myself included, but many, many believers at times don't want to know God's will because we don't want to do it. We almost already know it. The Spirit's already speaking to us. But we think, well, because we haven't read it in the Word, we don't want to read it in the Word, we haven't heard it, we kind of, kind of keep distant from believers or even church or God's Word for this very reason is we don't really want to know His will because we do not want to do it. Because we think for some reason doing God's will is burdensome and it's going to rip us off. We actually have a totally twisted idea of the character of God. It is absolutely false. It's a false gospel. It's a false picture of God. And you don't know his heart. We have to get to the point where we go, no, God's will is best. It's going to be freeing in my life. It brings joy to my life. It's going to build a foundation like the person who builds his house on the rock. The storms come, but the house is not going to fall because it's built on the rock of the truth of God. It's built on the gospel. My life is built on the gospel, and I want to know how to build it even stronger. I'm going to add an addition. So let's build that on, you know. I need to grow in that area, so let's build that on truth. I need to stop. You know, I'm leaking over here. The foundation's cracked over here because of this sin, and I got I to fix that. Why do I want to just, I don't want to know God's will in there because I don't want to fix that. I'd rather my foundation start to crumble and start to leak and then the pipes get compromised and then the roof starts falling in and I'd rather have that. Like think about what we're saying. We don't want to know God's will because we don't want to do it because we don't feel it's coming from a loving God who knows best. So we just have to pray about that. Say, God, your will is awesome. It is awesome the best possible thing we could ever know and the best possible thing we could ever do and the best way to live. It's best. Well, I want to sleep with my girlfriend before I get married and my boyfriend. I want it because I feel like it because I need it because God understands these urges I have. It's not his will and it's not best, is it? And when we recognize that, we go, okay, that'll be hard, but that's what he says and that's truth. And I want to live by his will, not my will. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. When he was facing the cross, he understands it's hard. But he surely wants us to say, God, fill me with the knowledge of your will. And then the courage to do it. So we have to study his word. We don't study his word because we don't want to know his will. Oftentimes, if we knew the value if we treated it as the most precious thing, it's far greater than silver and gold in, in Scripture, we're told, or the, the drippings of the honeycomb. If we saw it like that, you and I would be in the Word so much, people would say, what are you, oh, you're reading the Bible again. But we really don't care and want to know His will, truly, if the truth be known. And I'm saying that to convict myself. If we really wanted to know His will and walk in His will and have all of the closeness and blessing of God that Scripture talks about, we would be privately studying his word and corporately studying his word. You're here, we're corporately studying. Do you go back into your closet day by day and study the word of God? Do you study it in a group with other people, in life group or men's group or whatever? Are we asking and seeking and knocking for his truth? Scripture says if we ask 
it will be. If we seek, we will. If we knock, it will be. Do you want to receive and find and have the doors opened? So you can understand and draw close to God and have his blessing. If you say yes, get ready. You will become a student. You'll be so hungry for the word of God, you won't be able to stay out of the word of God. You'll be telling other people what you're learning. It's transforming. It's the most powerful thing in this world is the word of God. Okay, so Paul's saying, I pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will so you can have the full measure of his intimacy and his blessing and increasingly so until that day you will see your Savior and your Lord face to face. And you, I don't even know what it's going to be like. Do you? Have you even thought about what it's going to be like to see Christ? I love that song. Are you going to fall on your knees? Are you going to sing? Are you going to dance? Are you going to be without words? Are you going to be on your face? Are you going to be jumping? I don't know. I just know the day is coming. And I, I can't wait. And man, I want to get to know him more now here in preparation for that day. Don't you? You have all you need. It's strictly a matter of your choice. Paul was praying, be filled with the knowledge of his will. Will you and I say the same? Lord, fill me with the knowledge of your will. Even in the areas where I'm struggling, I need your will more there than ever, than any place. I'm embracing and entangled in sin, and, and I don't care. But I should, and it's hurting me, and I'm cracking my own foundation. And the payback that comes later when the enemy gets more of a foothold, and all, it's not worth it, God, give me new strength to know your will, to want to live your will. And then secondly, to live a life worthy of the Lord, a life that's pleasing to God in every way. And they really dovetail one another, don't they? He specifically says in verse 10, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. You know what's sad about me sometimes, maybe sad about you, is I don't, always want to fully please the Lord. Fully please Him. I want to please Him. There are times I don't want to fully please Him. How about you? Fully please Him. So in this area, if I did this God's way, I would know I need to forgive this person I need to maybe say something to this person. I need to not hold a grudge any longer. And I probably need to initiate love because God says I should love those that love my enemies and pray for those that persecute me. So even if they're in, quote unquote, that category, I know what his will is and I can do and I can act on it. Or I can just say, like, I don't want to really please God there, but maybe, you know, I'll go to church or I might do this. I'll do the, what I would think in my heart are the easier things and ways to please God. Paul is praying that we would... Walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. And a manner that's worthy of the Lord is saying, I want to fully please you. I know I'm going to stumble, Lord, but my heart is to fully please you. Would you help me more fully please you this week? May my walk with you, God, be more honoring and worthy of you and your great sacrifice and your great love for me. Living a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him in every way. And then he describes it in these verses. And I want to pick a few of the, um, the quotes from these verses to talk about bearing fruit in every good work. His spirit will equip you and me to do all kinds of things beyond our skill or beyond our experience. Beyond. Not, oh, been there, done that, or been there, I know what to do with that. He's actually just asking you to say yes to his Holy Spirit when there's a need, you can do good in some way, and you know it's right there. 
or you're going to choose to maybe if I skirt by and don't do eye contact, I can miss and I can get back to myself because I really don't want to get involved. I don't want to help in that good work. I don't like that person anyway. And it's just that we're missing the opportunities God is literally laying out before us that he'll lay out this afternoon, that he'll lay out tomorrow morning or on July 4th with the neighbors or friends that you're going to be with and then next week and he'll lay out the good works and he will equip and prepare you for all of those. And that will please him. But the greatest thing, all these people went down to you go to please God. Yes, they did. The most awesome thing is we can't stop laughing when we're there. <laughs> I don't know what it is. There's so much contagious joy on the workshop site or in the vans. I mean, I don't understand that exactly. I just know that that's a part of the picture when Jesus says it's better to give than receive. Because there's hilarity in giving. When you're on a roof and you, don't, you know you have no business being up there, right? And you don't really know how to nail these tiles in, and yet you figure it out, and someone helps you, and you do it together. And then after four days, you look and you see a house, and they were living in a shack like that was leaking, and they were praying that they could find something for their children. And you go, how does that happen? The greatest thing any one of us could ever do is to serve God in faith and get stretched, and it be hard and sweaty work. Like hard, the hardest thing you've ever done. I will never go overseas. Oh, here I am overseas. I will never go do something. Here I am doing it. I would never do this. Wow, I'm doing it. And you just go like, and it gets funny. It actually starts being joy filled. And I was telling, I guess I was telling Mark Richardson, I can't think of designing something that's more fun than you go. I literally, you put anything in front of me. Oh, well, go to Hawaii and sit on a beach and, and just be all about yourself and get to tan and go scuba. Yeah, that's awesome. And you've heard me talk about Hawaii. I love God's creation. Do you know what I would rank above that? Because I think we got a lot of that coming in heaven. Is when you step out in faith and you just want to say yes to the good works that God keeps laying out in front of you and you don't feel like you have what it takes and you find out you don't, but the Holy Spirit does. And you see him working in you and through you. And you see it in other people. And you start celebrating and you're only through day one. <laughs> There's something powerful about that. I don't want you guys to miss that. But you don't have to go to Mexico for that. You can do that with the junior high team or the parking team or whatever. And you just you start getting God's perspective of what it means to just say yes to the little good works that we often blow by or don't think we have the time for or we're not equipped for. He says he'll equip us so we can bear fruit in every good work. Then he says, you know, growing in the knowledge of God. We've talked about that some. To discover the Father's heart for people. To discover his attributes. God seeks to save the lost, to heal people of their, their sin and their brokenness, right? You start to see his heart for people. You actually start hearing God speak to you through his spirit. You're reminded of something in the word and then you end up, doing something that's just not like you usually, but it's a lot like Jesus. And you're growing in the knowledge of God. You're discovering how loving and forgiving he is. That he's also holy and just. That he's not only the creator, but he's also the sustainer, this very moment of the well -bal perfectly balanced universe. That he hates injustice and oppression, favoritism and pride. And you can go out and show that you have the same heart, that you want to bring justice and you want to serve people and you want to help people like Christ has done for you. And then all of a sudden, as you're doing it, you just go like, what better life is there than this? And you really start to get it. Like, that's Christianity. A lot of people think Christianity is knowledge about God. 
No, it's knowing him, having our minds transformed, and then our heart, right, just flowing with the love, the mercy, the compassion, the justice of Christ. That's a life that's growing in worthiness before the Lord. And then he says, being strengthened in his power according to his glorious might. Aren't you glad that everything that I've described right now is not a matter of how smart or strong you are or how old you are because you have this amount of energy or this amount of energy? This is according to whose strength? God's strength. It's according to his glorious might. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you and me, the resurrection power of Christ. You have everything you need. If you say yes to something, even though after you say yes, you go, what am I getting myself into? God will show up. That's the greatest place to be. Not, I got this. Sure, I should do that ministry. I got this. Wrong attitude. Don't sign up. Lord, do you want me to do this? I should help with this. This is a good work I could be a part of. Where, where, where Lord? Oh, I don't know about that. That could be kind of ch- challenging. Jump in. Jump in. Let it challenge you. Let it stretch you. You'll call out on the Lord. You'll be praying more. You'll be more dependent. You'll be the most surprised and excited, joy-filled person when you see God use you and something get accomplished that brings him honor. And then he talks about enduring, enduring joy and patience. That comes out of these verses as well. Joy, full, patience. Do those usually go together in your life? <laughs> joy-filled, joyful, patience. Patience with joy, as Paul says. Joyful patience. We were struggling to have joyful patience when we were waiting at the U.S. border for two and a half hours to get back into our country. (laughs) But God gave us that. Where are you struggling being patient? Maybe you just discovered some news about something in your life, and you're like, ah, ah. You ever get there? Ah, ah, can't shoot. You're like, ah, like, man, if I could have just avoided that, if I could have just done this, if I didn't do this, then that wouldn't, and we don't have to live like that. What happens in life, God will give us the joy to walk through with him. He said we should consider all trials, even his joy. What? Whatever you're going to face this week, just say, Lord, give me your joy to face that in your strength. You promised it was by your glorious might that I would be able to do these good works and live this life. Okay, I want to have joy-filled patience from you, God. And then lastly, he kind of wraps it up and he says, you know, giving thanks to the Father. You know, in another book in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, give thanks in how many circumstances? Do you know that verse? I wasn't quite sure. I give thanks in how many circumstances? All. All, 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 all circumstances. Every one of them. How many circumstances right now do you have on the, I don't give thanks for that list in your life? Most of them stay on that side. Oh, Lord, thank you that this is difficult with my child right now because I will pray and I will wait on you and I will be patient and with joy I will expect and pray that you will do this change. You will bring that about in their life. And now it changes because you've prayed and you've put it over into the Lord's hands. An attitude of gratitude is shocking for people to witness. It is very, very contagious. What is most normal is people having an attitude of griping, complaining, being critical and judgmental. That is the fair of the day. That is the soup of the day for just, literally just about everybody. Except believers that are really wanting to please God fully in their life. That are wanting to know his will, the knowledge of his will, and live it. 
then they can say, thank you, Lord, for all the blessings in my life and stuff that I haven't even remembered to thank you for. Thank you. And the things I have today, Lord, thank you. Oh, yeah, that is a challenge. But thank you, Lord, for your strength to enter into that challenge and that I'm not alone. And thank you, Lord, that you promise you'll work all things together for good. Because we're not at the end yet, and I'm expecting good out of this. Right now, I just see bad and really hard stuff. But thank you that you have a promise attached to this set of circumstances. And we can be thankful and be shocking and contagious. Do you want to be? Do you want to be? It is a choice. You've heard this probably from many different angles in Scripture and from many different teachers. Joy is a choice. It's a choice. It's something you choose for your life. You can choose to frame your life for your difficulty in joy. You can choose to ask God for more gratitude and be a thankful person. You can actually be shockingly, contagiously joy-filled and patient. Giving thanks to the Father in all circumstances. You can choose it. And I don't care if your life has been critical and judgmental to this point today. Maybe you go, there is no way. I was so criticized growing up. I didn't get any affirmation growing up. People do not give me words of love right now in my life, maybe even currently. You can still choose, it says, because God, you do. You still do, and you always will. And I'm going to study your word because that's what your challenge is, to know you and your will. And I'm going to ask, seek, and knock. And I know you're going to reveal yourself to me. And the love is going to flood my brain and my heart and my life. And I expect transformation. I don't want to live that way anymore. I literally can be a person that has an attitude of gratitude. I can be joy-filled and patient. I can be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can be ready and willing and say yes to every good work you lay out for me. And I can grow in the knowledge of God all at the same time every day of my life, if I want to be, and if I want that. And God would love to give that to you. That was Paul's prayer for the Colossians. That was Paul's prayer for you. That is my prayer for you. I pray that you pray that for me, and we should be praying that for each other, right? To be filled with the knowledge of his will and live a life worthy of the Lord. And here's the kicker. Because, and this is the last verse, because, here's our motivation, we belong to the kingdom of light because we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness, because we have forgiveness and redemption, because we are qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of the Son he loves. That's our motivation. Our identity in Christ is our motivation. It's who we already are and who we are created to be. Now let's live what we've learned today. What do you say? Is that your heart's desire? Let the Lord know that. We're going to have a time now just to worship him and to tell him how much we need him to help us live this. So I want to ask Jason to come on up. We're going to be singing a song called, Lord, I Need You. And uh, let it be your prayer. Just pour out your heart to him as we sing this. We're going to have an offering. We're going to have a prayer team here too. So any burden or need that you have, come and pray with our prayer team. But let's let this be a time to honor and just let our praise, our thanksgiving flow and rise up to the Lord in all of our needs and burdens that we'd lift him right now. And maybe more, most specifically, that we would apply what we've heard from his truth, his word today. Let's pray.
Father, I want to be like one of those Colossian Christians. I want people to see in me my faith in Christ, a greater hope that far exceeds anything in this world, and a deep love that is sacrificial toward others. Can you say that to him? Lord, please mark me like that. Grow that in me. Bring those graces about in me. Father, give me a hunger for your will, even though at times I question whether it's either best or will just make me happy. Lord, it's about being holy. It's about being in alignment with your perfect will. So God, help me in that area. Father, may I just know that day by day, even though it's a struggle in this world, may I walk in a manner worthy of you. Thank you, Lord. Give me strength to do that. Fully pleasing you. Not partially. Lord, all areas of my life, fully pleasing you. can barely picture that for myself, Lord, that every area would be given over to you. But please, Lord, I pray you'd make that a reality more and more in my life. And I look forward, Lord, to this hope of heaven, this hope of your return that you promise. May you come soon, Lord. But until you do, may I be found a faithful minister and partner of the gospel, the truth of Christ to my life and to others that don't yet know you. Thank you, Lord. Receive my worship now. It really comes from a full, grateful heart.